I won a blank that Gary Loomis had donated as a as a door prize. So I asked Gary if told him what was going on, that I was going to build this rod out for the governor's fishing opener, and I was going to give it to Jesse Ventura. And I said, I'd really like to have you sign this rod. Uh, and Gary swallowed hard, and he said, you know, I really don't sign my name on things that, that uh, aren't mine. That was Chris Christofek with his own winning giveaway story. Jesse the Body Ventura, Gary Loomis, and Lake Lady today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. You know we're doing giveaways all this year, and today is no different. Today we've got Lake Lady on, and they're giving away a rod. Lake Lady Giveaway. Go to wetflyswing.com slash lake lady giveaway and you can enter to win one of these amazing rods that Chris is going to dig into today. Chris takes us behind the scenes through his creation process of these one-of-a-kind custom-built fly rods. We hear about some of the legends of rod building who mentored Chris along the way, how he places guides on a rod a little bit differently than many and my unique custom rod build experience. We're gonna get Chris's story and dig in deep into the custom rod. This, uh, this is pretty cool. This includes Chris not only digs into uh, building fly rods, but also builds a lot of conventional rods. So we're gonna talk about all that today. Did I mention Chris is giving away one of these, one of these rods right now? Uh, so without further ado, here is Chris Christofek from LakeLadyRods.com. How's it going, Chris? Hey, it's great. Boy, I can't wait for summer to get here. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was listening to somebody out in your neck of the woods. I can't remember if it was in your state or it was in that area. They were saying, um, they said on social media, it was 50 degrees. I think it hit 50 and everybody was wearing shorts and t-shirts and like super happy with the <laughs> weather. Is that is that kind of how you guys roll? Well, yeah. As soon as, as, soon as we can get shorts on, that's what we're going to do. Um, but uh, as we record this, uh, this morning, it's, it's 35 degrees. There's still snow on the ground. The, the lakes and the rivers are still frozen. Uh, so we've got a little bit of uh, springtime melt to get uh, behind us before we can get out and start wearing shorts and go fishing again. So, you know, I, I've, I've got, you know, the old adage is abated anticipation. Uh, I'm really into that right now. I can't wait. Yeah. That's it. So basically, and that means a lot of people getting ready to go out and get out and do some fishing, right? Use some of some of your rods out there. I hope so. You bet. Nice. Well, we're going to dig into a little bit on, uh, you know, definitely getting into the rods you build, these unique custom rods, and, uh, and just hear that story. But before we get there, I like to bring it back to fishing. A lot of times we, you know, kind of get this story just from your perspective. So, so talk about how you first got into fishing and then how you got into rod building. <laughs> well, I started fishing when I was just a little tight. Uh, we lived in uh, West Central Kansas, and, and uh, uh, as I became an adult, I realized that I could see the end of the world through the second overpass, and I needed out of there to find places where there was water. So I think I was five years old. Uh, my grandmother was an ardent fly fisherman, or fly fisherwoman, uh, and uh, we had several sand pits 
around uh, our, our community and, and she loved to go out and fish for panfish in those, in those sand pits. So one day all of the grandkids piled into the car and we went out to the, her favorite spot. She was catching fish and, and uh, she wanted to change gear uh, and laid her bamboo fly rod alongside the car. Well, the kids, five years old, you know, five, six, seven-year-old grandkids were tired of fishing and we were playing tag and using the car as an escape route. We'd scoot through the car, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I came out of the I came out of one of the doors of the car and I stepped on her bamboo fly rod and broke it. Broke it in half. She was one unhappy grandma. <laughs> I was scolded ferociously and she demanded that I make her a new rod. So I broke off a, a willow tree twig and tied a piece of line on it and a hook and gave it to her and, and uh, said, here, grandma, here's your, here's your new rod. Uh, and that seemed to satisfy her. So I wasn't chastised so badly. And, and, uh, you know, to make that long story short, I still have that bamboo rod that I broke in memory of her. And, and, and that really was where I got started uh, building rods. But then all of that laid latent until, uh, after I retired from a major international, uh, company, I spent 32 years working for them and I had not built any uh, outside activities. I didn't have any hobbies. It was just homework and play, you know, and, and I needed something to do. So I went down to our local library. This was uh, 23 years ago. Went down to our local library and I found two paragraphs in an old field and stream magazine about how to build custom fishing rods. And I thought I was the smartest guy that had ever walked on the planet. You know, I knew everything after reading those two paragraphs. Um, I bought a kit from a supplier, built the rod, uh, and it was just atrocious. It looked awful, just terrible. (laughs) So I took it apart, rebuilt it. I think I rebuilt it three times. I still have that rod. I have caught fish with it. Uh, But I use that now to remind me as to where I started versus where I'm at now, 23 years later. I have been mentored uh, by uh, the legends of rod building. There are, there are 12 of them. I've been mentored by nine of, of those 12 legends who live around the world. I've been in most of their shops and, and have learned a tremendous amount about, about rods and how, how rods are built, both fly rods and gear rods and you know, it's just been a, it started out as a hobby and then it morphed into a small business. And it's really been gratifying to, you know, build rods for people who really want something different and special um, that they can't find in a sporting goods store anywhere. The manufactured rods are all fine, of course, you know, they, they'll catch fish. Clearly they do, but they're not, they're not unique. They're all the same. And I really strive to build a rod that is different. Each rod is different because each of us are different. Um, you know, we have different characteristics. We have different wants. We have different styles. And we can build a rod around all of that just through conversation. So that's what I do. Yeah, I have built, I don't know, 2,500 rods maybe in the last 23 years. I teach rod building, teach custom rod building uh, uh, to folks that want to build their own and and. It's just, uh, it's just been a whole lot of fun and I just, I want to keep on doing it. I just yeah. have a, a pen to keep at it. That's great. Yeah. And we're going to dig into more 
on how your rods are unique and what you do there. I'm, I'm on the um, on the mentors, uh, those people. Can you talk a little about some of the names of those people? I know um, I'm not sure if I know any of them or have heard the names, but can you give us a little background there? Oh, sure. Um, B.D. Ehler, uh, who uh, is uh, from Topeka, Kansas, um, he probably is a well, not probably. He is a world class uh, uh, cross wrapper. Cross wrapping is a decorative thing that we do to uh, custom rods, add add color and geometric patterns and so on. Um, he's hands down one of the best. Uh, Don Morton uh, is a NASA scientist uh, and also an ardent fly fisherman from Alabama. Uh, he developed a, a system that we call the equal angle system for placing guides on, on uh, rod blanks. Fuzz Morgan, uh, I think he's from Alabama as well. He's a, a feather inlay artist that just makes impeccable feather inlays are just jaw droppers. Uh, Chris Ward uh, from the UK, um, very good friend. Uh, Chris and I have fished uh, together several times, both in the UK and in Minnesota and in Alaska. Uh, Doc Ski is a California dude who is a, a world-class weaver. A lot, of, a lot of rod builders know who Doc is. Um, Name dropping here a little bit. Uh, this is great. Dick Posey, uh, formerly from or formerly owned uh, Lama Glass in uh, Woodland, Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another guy out there in Woodland, Washington that uh, his name is very familiar to to fishermen all over the world. A guy by the name of Gary Loomis. I have sat in his office and visited with Gary for uh, a couple of hours, and I've been in the boat with him once fished with a prototype rod that he wouldn't tell me anything about it at all. He said, I'll have to kill you if I tell you. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was the most fun fishing trip that, that I've had for, for some time. And then another guy that uh, his name is Jason Bruner. He's the design engineer, the vice president and design engineer of St. Croix Rods in uh, Park Falls, Wisconsin. Jason and I have worked together to design some, some gear rods and, uh, that's been awful, an awful lot of fun to to work with, with him and and uh, well, and then there's a handful of others around, you know that have that, that have really helped me out. So yeah, I've, you know, I've rubbed elbows and twisted line and and uh, done some things with some people that uh, got some pretty good uh, pedigree behind them. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, and the 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 feather inlay is a cool thing that you uh, you put together on the rod that you built for me, and it's it's really it's one of those things that just kind of makes it stick out. You know, one of the one of the features, which is great, and and the cross wraps. You know, that's something I remember. You know, because my brother and you know dad and family used to build custom rods back in the day, and uh, I remember my brother did a lot of that cross wrapping. But talk about that because you you see that a lot of times more on gear rod, you know, on conventional rods, but not necessarily on fly rods. Why is that? Do you think? Well, it's, it's just a, it's a decorative aesthetic that um, kind of sets your rod apart from, from any other. And it's, it's sometimes it's very simple to do and really creates a wow factor. Uh, other, other cross wraps are, are very, very uh, delicate and difficult to accomplish to create some geometric pattern on a rod. And it, it doesn't, doesn't impact the rod from its its power or its action or its usefulness. Uh, it's just a decorative 
embellishment, if you will, uh, that uh, sets your rod apart from from the guy next to you. You know that he just bought it off of the shelf at the sporting goods store. He bought a nice rod. There's no question of that. It'll catch fish. But this custom rod that's uh, decorated out and personalized and built for him, you know, is uh, is way different. And the feather inlays and cross wrapping and weaving a fish symbol or a fly into a, a fly rod blank is or fly rod is is really a really something different that not very many people do. And it's just it's a lot of fun. It takes some time and effort, but uh, there's there's other things that we can do too for for embellishment. Yeah, you know, it's just it just adds to the rod. Yeah, it makes it custom. And, and the and maybe we could just start with that rod that you build. That might be a good example for somebody to understand, you know, a little bit about the process. And I just think of the features that stick out to me. One, just starting with like the the handle. You know what I mean? You, you it's a really unique handle. Can you talk about that handle? How that's different than just your normal cork handle? Because it's got a bunch of different colors and and kind of patterns in it, right? Sure, absolutely. So it maybe maybe back up just a little bit on all of that. Yeah. You and I have never met one another face to face. We've no. chatted on the phone. I understand uh, how you want to use your fly your fly rod. Uh, we talked about that, and uh, the wheels inside of my head were turning during the, that conversation to try to figure out. Yeah, this is the right blank that Dave needs for his rod. So we went further, and I asked you to measure your hand and your forearm. And there's a, I, I sent you a, a, a diagram mm -hmm. uh, as to how to do that so that I could get the handle system for your rod to fit you just like a glove. It's unique. It's different. You're unique. You are different. You know, as we progressed in the, into that discussion, I found out the colors that, that you wanted. Uh, so I incorporated those colors into the thread wraps. We talked about on your rod, whether you wanted uh, traditional ring guides or snake guides. And then we put those guides on the rod as, as you described uh, how you wanted it done. The handle system I built out of Portuguese burl cork. Uh, it's really a, a misnomer. Uh, there is no such thing as burl cork. Uh, cork grows on a oak or cork oak tree probably 90% of the world's cork comes out of Portugal because of the mild Mediterranean climate. And uh, it's very conducive for these oak, cork oak trees to grow. And they harvest the bark once every 10 years off of those trees. They, they farm the trees just like uh, our, our uh, farmers in the U.S. farm wheat and corn and barley and hay and so on. They farm cork oak trees. So the bark is peeled off, uh, it's allowed to dry, uh, and then hundreds of different products are made out of that cork bark. The leavings of the uh, production of cork then are ground up, dyes are added to it, binders are added, and it is reconstituted into a, a flat sheet called burl cork. And then it is drilled into rings uh, and then I buy those rings from uh, a very large factory in Portugal, import them direct into my shop, uh, in all kinds of colors and textures within that cork, and then fashion them together into a handle. And 
oftentimes even add some other materials. Uh, we live in an area that has a lot of birch trees. So in the spring, as the sap starts to, to move through the, the birch trees, the bark gets very rich with moisture and uh, trees that are being cut down for construction of a new building or something, uh, you know, I, will, I would never ever cut a bark off of a live birch tree because it will kill it. Mm. But I'll take the, the uh, uh, bark off of a, a tree that is being removed for some reason and, and uh, then press it out, dry it, punch little washers or discs from that uh, birch bark and then add that into a handle. And I know I, on the handle that I built for, for your rod, uh, that's what we did. It just mm. adds a little little spice to the handle, something different. Yep. You, you would never, ever find something like that in a sporting goods store. No. So it's a very unique, one-of-a-kind handle. And I try, I try really hard not to duplicate a handle that I've done before. You know, that, right. that, that's quite a statement to make. But I really, you know, obviously I've had handles that probably look the same. Yeah. But I really strive to make something different. I don't have a I don't have any inventory of completed handles that I just go to a box and grab one and ream it to fit the rod blank and put some rod bond on it, bind it to the to the blank and send it on to the to the angler. I don't do that. I build them all one at a time, just as individual as you are. Yeah, that's good. No, and, and that that is exactly what the handle looks like when you see it. it it's definitely a unique. Definitely a unique handle, and that makes sense. And it's different than, say, if you just get a, a cork, a piece of cork, right, and ream it out and then throw on a straight handle, which, you know, when I built rods, that's kind of what I, I've done in the past, right? You just ream out a full cork and then fit it on your rod. But this is like an actual custom, you know, a line. And what is the style of, of handle? You know, is this like a, um, a half wells or full wells? Or do you- yeah, your, your handle was a half wells uh, because it was a lightweight rod. I think it was a four-weight yeah. uh, we built. So it was it was a light rod for for smaller fish, so a half wells handle is is appropriate for that. But we could build uh, full wells. We could build uh, uh, big game handles, IFGA handles that are compliant with IFGA. I've done several of those. In fact, I just shipped one to a guy in in uh, in Florida a couple of weeks ago. He uh, he wanted to be certain that that it was a ten weight, and he wanted to be certain that it was. IFGA compliant because he was after a big fish and mm-hmm. going to see what if he can get his name in the book and and then the equipment's got to to be to follow the regulations as well so that was kind of a fun build too. Gotcha. So talk a little bit about the um, the rod blank itself because that's definitely something we've talked about on here in the past. We've had some you know rod builders who have like rod building facilities in their shop, things like that, and then there's others um, you know they're doing different forms of it. How do you go about choosing the rod? I mean, we could take it on my example or any other one, but how's that look? Well, yeah, I do not build the blanks. I don't have the capability of putting the scrim material, that's the raw carbon fiber, onto a mandrel. I know how to do it. I have done it in a rod factory, so I understand the process, but I don't have the equipment necessary to build that that rod blank in my shop. I just don't have it. So I have to buy blanks and, and I really try, I really strive to buy U.S. made uh, equipment or parts, you know. There's a limit as to what is available in the United States. Some of the rod blanks that that we use are coming from 
Korea, from South Korea, some from Japan. We get a few from China, uh, but that breaks my heart uh, to have to do that. Yeah. But the rod blanks are really good. They're really uh, high quality, top shelf, best of the best is the only thing that I will use. I'm not going to sacrifice quality for price. I just can't get myself to do that. It's always uh, name brand stuff, top of the line. Uh, I just, I'm not going to cheapen what I do to satisfy somebody that really wants a, a yeah. an entry level, low end kind of, of, of rod blank. So my rods are really unique. They're different uh, because of, of the high quality of the component parts. And then the quality of the workmanship that goes into it is, is really something too. And, and one of the, another thing that I found out about, about any rod blank, uh, if you had two identical fly rod blanks, let's just for the sake of the conversation, a five weight, four piece, five weight, nine foot long, those two rods will be different. They will have a different composition because they are handmade by a human and they start out being handmade by a human that the, the, the scrim material is tacked with iron onto the mandrel in every factory that builds rod blanks. It, it all starts the same way. So any deviation at all in the way that scrim material is wrapped around that steel mandrel causes the blank, the finished blank to be different. And it's true, there are, the rod blank will bend differently uh, against, a, against a chart to show its curvature, its bend, its parabolic action, and therefore where the guides should be placed on that rod blank to maximize its efficiency. So I don't use a pre-described prescription as to where the guides should be placed on a blank. It doesn't work. It's not right. I let the rod blank dictate to me by stressing it to bend it into its its 90 degree bend where the guide should be so that the guide train and the line coming from the reel up through the guides to the tip top flow in a nice, smooth, straight line. Therefore, we reduce friction. We get further casts further distance in our casting and the the rod reacts differently from a sensitivity standpoint which is a subjective thing but it does react differently if the guides are placed properly on the blank versus a chart and there's there's charts out there that say that a five weight nine foot long blank you, you, this is where the the stripper guide goes and the, and I do something a little different in the stripper guide section of the rod. I put a second and occasionally even a third stripper guide to tame the rod or, or tame the, the line to the rod blank, which creates a vortex during casting to reduce friction. So, you know, and then the guides are placed all the way up to the, to the tip top, you know, to maximize the, the, the performance. That's it on the guy. And that's the one of the unique things about the rod that you built for me is that, yeah, that, that lower end, there's there's the guides. There's a couple on the stripping guides are, um, you know, pretty close together. So basically what you're saying is you, from that blank, you bend it at a certain, you said 90 degrees, and then you can see. Describe that process a little bit. So when you bend it, how, how can you tell as opposed to, you know, following some system 
like on on my rod specifically, that those guides, you know, you added an extra guide down at the bottom. Yeah. So so I clamp the rod into a, a holder that holds the blank steady. And then I bend the tip of the rod to 90 degrees. The, the fellow that I mentioned earlier, Don Morton, who developed the equal angle system, which I really subscribe to. I get it. I understand it. I understand the physics and, and the geometry of it. I use his design to, to determine then where the guide's going to be on a given blank. There's no numerical value given to the chart whatsoever. Uh, it, just, it just shows as the rod bends in an equal angle, here's where the guide should be. So I, I use that chart, the guide chart. Yeah. It's a bend chart, actually, where the rod flexes called the equal angle. And as you bend your rod to its, its maximum 90 degree bend, you should never, you should never ever flex a graphite carbon fiber blank beyond 90 degrees. The rod will, uh, rod potentially will, will come apart. It will break, but it's, it's at its maximum efficiency at 90 degrees. And, and, uh, you can fight an awful big fish with some pretty light gear if the rod is designed properly using that equal angle system. So if you go into a sporting goods store, there's some great rods out there. There's no question about it. And, you know, I don't want to drop any manufacturer's names because I'll leave somebody out unintentionally. But all of the rods look exactly the same. All five weight rods, nine foot long for his, his, uh, uh, his rods and his, on, on, the, on the rack. Yeah. They all line up. The guides line up exactly in the same thing. You could shoot an arrow through them, but that's not the right way to do it. It looks great on the, on the sporting goods shelf. Absolutely. looks nice, you know, really beautiful, but he hasn't maximized the efficiency of his body. And is that from the guide spacing? Is that all, is that more for getting it right? So it actually, you know, casts better or is it more for like playing fish or both? It's both. I'm really interested in, in casting performance, um, accuracy, distance, go together. Um, if a rod is set up on its inherent spine and every tube has a, a spine or a backbone to it, it's not a spline, S-P-L-I-N-E, it's a spine, S-P-I-N-E, a spine. You and I have a spine as well. It's called our, our backbone. And it allows us to bend from our waist forward. We can pick up a tremendous amount of weight with the strength that's in our spine. Likewise, in a fishing rod, you can manage a, a big fish with the spine being properly placed, the guides being properly placed on that spine versus a rod that's off the spine. Conversely, when you cast that rod, fly rod or a gear rod doesn't make any difference when you cast that rod if it's properly set up if the guide train is properly set up on that rod you'll get greater casting distance and your accuracy of casts are going to improve immensely it's just like shooting an arrow you know it, the, the projector or the projection of that arrow goes in the direction that you pointed it doesn't go left or right uh, unlike your golf game when you hit a you hit a golf mm -hmm. ball if you're like me you don't have a clue about where that ball's going to no. go but when you cast a, a properly aligned fishing rod fly or a gear rod doesn't make any difference 
the projectile, the, the lure, the fly, will land precisely where you cast to. It's just, it's amazing. It's an amazing phenomenon that occurs. And the reason, and it begs the question, well, why don't the manufacturers do this? Yeah. Why, don't they, why don't they build on the spine? Well, it takes time to set it up. It takes time to wrap one or two or maybe three additional guides on that rod blank. And at the end of the day, there's a thing called profit that is necessary in a manufacturing facility. And if the, if the rod design engineer can make a satisfactory rod and eliminate one or two guides from every rod that is built in his factory uh, on a daily basis, that difference goes to the company's bottom line. Where a custom builder is building, like me, is building a rod one at a time. I built your rod. I didn't have, well, I probably had a couple other rods in, in the queue, but I spent my time building your rod to your specifications at the way the rod blank wanted it built. Uh, I didn't pay any attention whatsoever to some cockamania guide chart rating that says this is where the guides go on this, on a rod blank. I didn't do that. Yeah, I gotcha. No, that, that makes sense. And and you mentioned the factory a few times, and I know um, you have a story, I think, uh, about kind of your first time in a factory. I'm not sure if that was St. Croix. Can you talk about that story? Was this before you got into rod building? No, it was after. After I got into rod building, I, I really became interested in in how, how rod blanks were made. And uh, I was fortunate to uh, be in Woodland, Washington for a, a rod builders gathering. And uh, that's where I, I actually met Gary Loomis for the first time and went through his factory. He took me through his, his uh, G. Loomis factory in, in Woodland. This is 20, 20 years ago uh, when he was in his prime and really was, was building some exquisite rods at the time. And uh, I learned a great deal about, about rod building at that point. Then I, I think the next year I went back to uh, Woodland and uh, to a rod builders gathering that Lama Glass had put together, and I built a rod at at Lama Glass in their factory on a on a Saturday. Uh, and then uh, I started a group of of rod builders uh, in Minnesota, and I called uh, my friend Jason Bruner, who's the rod design engineer at Saint Croix and ask if we could come over and go through their factory and watch how uh, rods are built. And just open-armed, they, they said, absolutely, come on over. We'd be, we'd be tickled to death to have you come over. So I, I think we took eight or nine people over to St. Croix on a, on a weekend. And unknowing to us, when we got there, they said, how would you like to build your own rod? And uh, we went back into the factory, and we actually cut the the scrim material to a design uh, they're called flags and tack that scrim onto a, a mandrel with a hot iron rolled a, the balance of the scrim material onto the mandrel coated it with cellophane it was hung in a cabinet and then was baked uh, to cure the the resin uh, in the rod and then the the mandrel was hydraulically removed from the tube the the rod blank was was sanded it was measured to be sure that it met the specifications, the specification tolerance for that particular rod blank. And uh, we were able to take that rod home. They actually gave it to us. So hmm. that was a real treat. 
And since then, they have discontinued doing that for some proprietary reasons, um, because it, there's 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 some sweet sauce that's being mixed in a rod factory, and, and uh, there are some people who would uh, sell that idea or that photograph or something, right. and, and you know that's just not the right thing to do. And so that's all been that's been discontinued. But yeah, that's how I that's how I really learned a lot about about the actions and power of rods and how they're put together. And, and then over, over time, the materials that go into the rod blank have really morphed as well. There's some very, very lightweight carbon fiber material today that is just exquisite, that really is superb stuff. And you have a very strong, very lightweight. It's just a pleasure to work with. And then it's a, even a greater pleasure to fish with. Yeah. It is. And, and that's what I noticed when I took your rod out there, you know, right away from the first time just casting is that it definitely, you know, is really nice to cast. You know what I mean? It's it's lightweight. And um, that blank, now that blank was specifically, can you describe that a little bit with that one? Because that was, a, I think it was a nine foot, or let's see, is it nine foot four weight? I can't remember if it's eight and a half or nine. I think yours, yeah, yours was a nine foot four weight. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it was a... It's a Rain Shadow Eternity 2. It's a brand new blank. It's a, the finest carbon fiber fabric known to mankind. It's just, you know, it's, it's extraordinary. It's unsurpassed and revolutionary in its, its uh, makeup. And they just produce impeccable rods like the one that you have. Yeah. And it's blue. The blank's actually blue. Yeah, it's a cobalt blue blank. It's really pretty. Just you know, it, it's not flashy, uh, but yet it's it's got a, a neat color to it. A yeah, neutral blue. It's a subtle flashiness. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really a great graphite blank. Yeah, and so on these rods, uh, and you mentioned you know obviously woodland. We talked. We had a. Um, Kerry Burkheimer, who, who has Burkheimer rods, you know, yeah, um, sure. and, and he, he talked about the process of, you know, how he gets it and how he builds his rods and things like that. But I asked him about the Woodland Washington because I said, Hey, it seems like a lot of rod builders are coming out of Woodland. And you mentioned a few of them, Lamb of Glass and, and, uh, G Loomis. Um, how about in your neck of the woods over there? Do you see, I mean, are there quite a few rod builders? I mean, obviously, you know, there are some big companies as you go across, you know, the country, but what, what's your take on, if you look around, you mentioned some mentors around the world. Are, are there just great rod builders, rod companies all over the country, all over the world? Well, yeah, I think there's rod builders all over the world. There's no question of that, that build one or two or a dozen rods a year and you know, call them custom rod builders. Yeah, you know, that's out there. They're, for the most part, those are hobbyist uh, rod builders. They're building building a rod for themselves. They're building a rod for themselves or for a friend or a family member. But when you start building in terms of 50, 60, 70, 100, 150 rods a year, uh, you know, that becomes a business. And and I don't, I don't know that there are all that many uh, professional custom rod builders out there. There's, there's certainly a, a handful, but for manufacturers, you know, there's people like St. Croix and Lamaglass and Rain Shadow. And there's a, there's three or four other minor companies uh, around that, that build rods for very specific purposes. For example, there's a couple of builders 
or a couple of manufacturers in in California that build uh, saltwater rods, big, heavy-duty mm-hmm. tuna sticks, you know, that will tackle 150-pound fish. And same thing down in Florida. There's a, a manufacturer of rod blanks in Florida that build rods for for grouper and, and other saltwater fish that are that are out in the deep water and, and they're just broomsticks. You know, you, it's not something that I would fish with in Minnesota uh, because we just don't have fish that big, nor would you fish for them if you were out in a, in a, in a stream in, in Washington yeah. or Oregon or whatever, you know, they're just, you know, it's, it's just not appropriate. But then there's some other manufacturers scattered around the world. There's, there's one in, in the UK there's another really exquisite manufacturer in in New Zealand. Um, I've only built one of uh, on one of their rod blanks, and and uh, but it's a, it's really nice stuff. But there's 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 sufficient rod manufacturers around the U.S. that can keep me satisfied with you know some ultra high quality stuff that that uh, that's and that's what I use. You know, I just that's what I use. That's it. And do you build like, so we talked, we've been talking about this rod, this trout rod that you built uh, for me. Well, what are the different types of rods, you know, you build, do you build uh, like all species? You know, what, do, is there a certain size of rod you don't go, but talk about your, the diversity of the type. If somebody wanted to come in and just have some random species, could you build a rod for them? I think I could. Yeah. There, the techniques of building the rod, uh, finishing that rod from a blank onto a finished rod, the techniques are pretty much the same. There's a few variables that go into it, of course, but basically they're the same. And I live and work in an area where we're primarily gear chasers, you know, spinning rods and casting rods mm-hmm. uh, for, for walleye, for bass, uh, northern pike and muskie uh, fishing. And there's some guys that are chasing pike uh, and muskies with a fly rod, and that includes me. I have hooked, didn't get the fish in, but I had the hook, I had a hook set in a in the biggest northern pike that I've ever seen in my life. We tussled with each other on a nine weight uh, for, seemed like an eternity, uh, but it was probably 15 or 20 minutes in actuality. You know, fishermen always will stretch the truth a little bit. Um, but nonetheless, it was it was a huge fish. Uh, and, and it really hooked me into fly fishing for uh, larger fish. I've attempted to catch a muskie with a fly and have been unsuccessful, but, uh, I've caught several, I've caught several pike and I've caught bass and trout. I tried in, uh, in Alaska for salmon on, uh, on a fly rod and the conditions and where we were at were just not conducive to really, really using a fly rod. That isn't what the rest of the people wanted to do. And right. so I kind of, I had to lay back a little bit, but nonetheless, yeah. But yeah. in the in the Midwest in the Midwest there's primarily gear fishermen and but there's a there's a good number of fly fishermen as well. Oh yeah, yeah I know there's a, the Midwest 100 percent is a is a hot spot. I, I you know I know because we have a lot of people that reach out to me uh, from the Midwest, uh, fly fishermen and and women and yeah it's it's 100 percent it's it's a hot spot uh, which is cool. Um, and I love the pike and muskie. We're going to hopefully dig into a few more of those episodes on pike and muskie coming up here in the recent future. 
I want to hit on one. You had you got some more other stories you, you've noted to me. Um, one of them was uh, Jesse the Body Ventura. Uh, you built some rods, right? So I want to hear this because this is this is classic love. First of all, I love that story. I always love it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? You know, and all these things where you got these people kind of becoming you know mayors and and governors and, and senators. But so talk about that. How do you come to build rods for how this Jesse Ventura thing happen? Oh yeah, that's this is a fun story. Um, Jesse uh, was the governor of uh, Minnesota and the opening weekend of walleye season uh, traditionally is called the governor's fishing opener. Well, it so happened that this was 23 years ago. Um, the governor's fishing opener was going to be on the lake that, that uh, we live on and across the bay from us, uh, the chairman of the governor's fishing opener committee, uh, lives and he knew that I was building uh, custom rods. I had just gotten started. Uh, in fact, I had been, no, I hadn't, I hadn't yet uh, done this. I, I just started building custom rods. And uh, Marv Kep, who was a chairman of the committee, called me and he said, hey, how would you like to build a rod for the governor who's going to be at the opener in May? This was like in early January. And I swallowed hard and, and thought about it for just a second or two. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And he says, well, you know, you need to build two rods because you got to build one for his wife as well. Okay, I can do that. So six or eight weeks later, uh, there was a rod builders gathering in Nashville, Tennessee. And we went to uh, to Nashville to that, uh, that get together. And the keynote speaker was my buddy, Gary Loomis. And fortunately, I got to sit next to him at dinner and, and uh, really got into his head about uh, rod blanks and on and on and on. We talked a little bit about that earlier. But after, the, after dinner was over with, I won a blank that huh. Gary Loomis had donated as a, as a door prize. So I asked Gary if, told him what was going on, that I was going to build this rod out for the governor's fishing opener, and I was going to give it to Jesse Ventura. And I said, I'd really like to have you sign this rod. Uh, and Gary swallowed hard and he said, you know, I really don't sign my name on things that, that uh, aren't mine, uh, that I have control over. But right. he says, I believe what you're going to do. And he signed on this rod blank uh, his signature, his very famous signature. So I brought that rod blank home and treated it like uh, fragile eggs and, and was very, very careful with it. Built the rod out and uh, presented that to uh, to the governor at the at the banquet the night before the, the fishing opener. And he was uh, he was chewing on a, a cigar at the time <laughs> and, and, and of course dressed in in his fishing gear. And he's a big hulk of a man. He's a yeah. great big guy. And uh, he was very appreciative of the, of the gift. His wife, uh, uh, likewise was appreciative. And, and he went fishing the next day with, uh, somebody from, uh, from the news media. And shortly after they got out on the water, uh, that morning, he did catch a fish and the picture of the rod, him smoking a cigar and holding the fish up, uh, was published all over the Midwest. And oh, it was. You know, he's, he was a, a very colorful character, not yeah. only as a professional wrestler, but he, exactly. he also was very colorful as a governor. Yeah. For those that don't know, yeah, Jesse Ventura was a 
was a uh, like a WWF, right? He was a wrestler, like a professional wrestler. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was exactly. character. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That, nice. Well, that that is a good story. I love it. You brought in uh, Gary Loomis as well. So, so that rod you won was actually a blank. You won a Loomis blank, essentially. I just I won the Loomis blank, and then I then I yeah. built it out. Uh, of course, I didn't. It, it was a it was a gift. It was a surprise gift to him. So I didn't have the opportunity to actually measure his hand and sure. arm like I like I did for you yeah. and and for everybody else that I built a rod for. But but. Uh, you know, I kind of guessed as to what it was, what he was going to to do, and it was a spinning rod. So that was that was pretty cool. That that really was the start of of uh, me getting involved professionally as a uh, as a rod builder. It, it took it from a hobby kind of a thing into a small business. Yeah, that's it. Okay, I think we're gonna wrap this up here, uh, Chris, pretty quick. But wanted to check with you on just a couple things before we get out of here. Um, First of all, you mentioned, you know, a couple of stories here. And, you know, if people want to get into this, if they're interested in getting a rod, wh- where do we send folks to, um, you know, what, what's the best way to connect with you? Like, do they, do they call you? Do they just go to your website? What should they do? I think the first thing to do is would be go to our website, lakeladyrods.com. It's a very robust uh, information-filled website. It's quite deep. And after you have uh, taken a look at some of the pictures in the gallery and read a little bit about what we do and how we do it, then give me a phone call. It's always good to, to be able to visit with, with people about what they want. And, and then we can talk about options and different techniques and different aesthetics and whatever we're going to do to the rod that you want built. And then I will send you a, a diagram of this hand and arm so we get, the, get those measurements correct. And then we'll quote a price and, and uh, build that rod to your specifications and, and uh, ship it to you. Or if you're close by, you could certainly stop by our shop and, and uh, you know, visit here, too. That's fine. A lot of people, a lot of people do that. Uh, oh, but nice. as we scatter across the country, it becomes impossible to, you know, to sit down for an interview in, in my shop. You know, we just, we just can't do it, but we could do it over Skype or we could do it over the phone and we share stuff. You know, it's pretty, pretty easy to do electronically. Okay. And if somebody's out there and they're, you know, listening to this and they want a custom rod, but maybe they, you know, don't go to you, or maybe there's, you know, a custom rod builder nearby that they know that they want to go to, what sort of advice would you give that person if they're going to get a custom rod from say somebody else out there before they jump into it, what would you tell somebody? Well, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people out there that, that are hobbyists that are building rods and some of them do a really great job. There's no question, but then there are some guys that are nothing more than assemblers of parts. And you got to be a little bit careful about those people because are they really building a custom rod or are they just assembling parts on a, on a rod blank? And, there's some unscrupulous people out there as well that uh, build on rejects or seconds that don't meet a, uh, a, spe- a specific requirement from an engineering standpoint, and they are sold on a, in the aftermarket. And there's, there's people that build on that stuff and try to portray that it's a, a top-line rod blank, which, of course, and obviously it's not. Got to watch out for that kind of stuff. But quality builders will build on quality parts, and they have a reputation. You need to check that reputation out. Check out the the uh, 
the comments that are left by other people uh, as to what they do. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just it's it's common sense, and and you're going to get what you pay for. You know, if, if you're using top end stuff, high quality, it's it costs a bit more to go first class than it does to ride coach. You know, uh, but you'll still get there. You'll still get from point A to B. You'll still catch fish. But there's something about the pride of ownership when you've got really some fine stuff that is made for you. You know, the shoe analogy, you know, we all wear shoes. That's just you and I trade shoes to see if uh, mine fit your feet. I'd bet you a bunch that they don't. No. And uh, we're different. We have different desires, different likes. And and uh, you need to find somebody that builds a rod that understands that we're different uh, and go through that interview process to be sure that he that he understands what you want and you understand what you're about to get into uh, right, and right. we do that it's we're an open book yeah is the analogy between like the golf club a good one where it's like you get a and i don't even know what that looks like but you get a custom set of golf club or a custom golf club made for your versus just buying a golf club off the shelf is it kind of similar there it's very i think it's very similar yeah professional golfers wouldn't go to a a golf shop, the pro shop at the, at the golf course and, and buy a set of clubs. You know, they yeah. wouldn't even think of that. They're going to have that club built exactly to their stature and how they swing and on and on and on. Same yeah. things going on with, with, with rods, you know? Yeah. That club that you buy at the, at, at the golf course, you know, it'll hit a ball and it'll go down the fairway. Sure. It will. But if it were, if it were custom built for you and, and, the length and the grip and everything else that goes on to it, the head and, and the weight, uh, you know, if it were built just for you, just the, the pride of ownership will send that ball further down the, down the fairway. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that, that's, that's perfect. And that's what it comes down to. And obviously a lot of people listening here, you don't have to get a custom rod to have a great day fishing on the water, but I think as you get into it, the more you do it, uh, you know, you, you find, you know, if you do find a custom rod, it just adds a little bit, you know, you're sitting there in the river and you're kicking back, you know, maybe relaxing and you got this, you know, this beautiful custom rod and you know what I mean? The, the rod you built me is, is one of those things that, you know, I'll have forever. And, uh, and like I have all my rods, you know, I got, I got an old, you mentioned lava glass. I've said this before, but my first steelhead rod, um, my dad got me was a lama glass, just a factory built lama glass. And it's, I still have that rod. It's one of my, you know, something I'll always have, you know what I mean? Just so sure, it, it's cool. And it's cool to connect with you because it's a custom, right? You do this custom thing that we talked about today. And if people want to go a little deeper and spend a little bit more money, then they can connect with you or somebody like you. Yeah, that's right. You know, and one of our sayings that, uh, that we use is, is uh, our rods will actually catch more fish. They will. Uh, and there you go. And it's true. That's a true statement. You'll treat it differently and you'll fish with it with more, more accuracy and just surgical accuracy of casting. You know, if you don't present the fly properly to the fish, the fish is going to uh, ignore uh, that presentation. But if you, if you can lay the fly perfectly in front of the fish's face, uh, his tendency uh, to survive is to eat, is to kill that fly. And, if the rod performs the way it should and you lay the fly onto the water the way it should, uh, the fish will bite. You know, they'll attack that, that artificial fly, that bait, and, and you will catch more fish. 
you'll catch more fish. And that's the, that's probably the best. Another great point to take home here is that we've talked about a lot on this show. We've talked about casting and all the different ends of fly fishing. And if you're talking about dry fly fishing or whatever, there are times when you have to hit not only a pie plate, but even getting more surgical in that spot. If you want to get it to that fish, that's come up a number of times. So what you're saying is that your rod actually is going to be more accurate and allow you, and that's how you're going to essentially catch more fish. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So, yeah, so before we get out of here, we are going to be doing something uh, special uh, for listeners of this show, and this is going to be a giveaway of a custom-built rod, and you've described the process a little bit of it today and building my rod, and you're going to walk the winner through a similar process. So let's uh, let's talk about that. What do you think, you know, this giveaway actually, this is not just a, uh, I mean, this is a serious deal, right? Talk about how that's going to work once we have the winner. Well, I think the way we ought to work is is uh, folks listening to to us uh, chatter today on the, on the, the Wet Fly Swing podcast, enter uh, the contest for a five-weight, uh, nine-foot Lake Lady fly rod built on a on an eternity uh, rod blank with a custom uh, burl cork handle with uh, uh, birch bark inlays, uh, your choice of colors. It'll have a rod sock with your name embroidered on it, and it'll come in a in a uh, an aluminum tube to protect the to protect the rod. And when the rod's done, it's it'll it'll have a value of about a thousand dollars. Really, a top end, high end, uh, great rod just for the listeners of the wet fly swing podcast and, and in conjunction with of course, Lake lady rods. So enter the contest and, and uh, Dave is going to draw the name at the end of the contest and, and uh, we'll get in touch with you and, and uh, build this rod out to your specifications and get it to you. And then you're going to have to tell us about how you fish it and show us some pictures of fish that you've caught. That's right. For the winner of this, we'll, we'll definitely uh, follow up and, We'll put it at wetflyswing.com slash lake lady giveaway. That'll be the the link that people can check out and that'll um, that'll direct them over to enter the giveaway. And and uh, yeah, this is gonna be awesome. I mean, this is a huge obviously this is no small uh, no small giveaway. This is this is a big deal. So uh, I want to thank you in advance, Chris, for doing this. This is definitely a, a cool deal for for listeners to get a chance at this. And uh, and yeah, and and I guess other than that, in in the next year, anything else you got coming new for you, or are you going to keep just kind of doing the same same good stuff? Well, I'm you know I think there's going to be some new materials uh, come out in, for for rod blanks. Uh, there's some scuttlebutt that there's uh, some new fabric that's coming, and of course there's a race and the chemical side of it with resins. The uh, molecular redesigned resins, uh, you know, that's a quote of mm. means a lot of different things to different people. Uh, but the resins that bind the carbon fiber together, uh, there's a there's a race going on with the, with the the manufacturers of rod blanks to really lighten up the rods, but yet create the sensitivity that is so important for us to feel the bite, to feel the strike, mm. and yet strong enough to fight big fish without uh, breaking the rod. So weight is being dissipated. Some of this material is just as light as a feather versus some of the old fiberglass stuff that we had a couple, three decades ago that our granddads or our dads even fished with. You know, it's just the stuff that's available today and and that's then on the horizon that's coming is really going to be a 
a game changer in in the fishing industry. And for those of us that build uh, on high end stuff, we can't wait to get our hands on some of this. And yeah, yeah, it's expensive, but the the treat is, you know, would you rather drive a Chevy or a Lexus? Right. Yeah. You know, you know how do you, how do you get down the road from A to B? Um, you know, the Chevy will get you there for sure, no question about it. But the Lexus is really a fine ride, yeah. and and same analogy is true in, in rods. You can every every fishing rod will catch a fish. There's no question of that. But how much fun is it to fish with a Snoopy pole? Uh, you know, <laughs> it just it just wasn't fun at all. And and uh, as we gain in our knowledge of fishing and uh, chasing different species and, and trying to catch the biggest fish that swims, we need equipment to go along with it. And that's really what we strive to do is build fishing rods as individual as you are using the very finest uh, materials that we can get our hands on. And we take pride in that. Uh, it takes some additional time to, to get it right. And that's what we do. It, yeah. uh, it's, each rod is built one at a time. I have no inventory of, of finished rods, none, zero. Oh, really? Yeah. Every rod is built for somebody, uh, for a reason. And uh, I can't build a custom rod and call it a custom rod and just pull it off of the shelf and hand it to you. It's, to me, that does, that's not right. right. It doesn't fit you. Yeah, that's Go it. back to the shoe analogy that we talked about earlier. It just doesn't fit. Yeah, that's right. Nice. Perfect, Chris. Well, this has been great. I appreciate you, uh, you know, shedding some light on your process and, uh, and definitely digging into the giveaway. This is all awesome. So yeah, excited to keep in touch and move forward with everything. And uh, thanks again for the time today. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been fun and, and uh, I've enjoyed it very much. Thanks, Dave. So there you go. If you want to find the show notes, the links and everything we covered today, head over to wetflyswing.com slash rods and check it out this also includes you can there'll be a link to the giveaway there at the top that is a wrap for today a uh, a wrap uh we talked about rod wrapping i'm thinking about uh burrito wraps right now i would love to have a a bacon and egg uh, burrito with some salsa on it that would be amazing right now um, i'm gonna have to settle for a, a pro bar that's kind of what i got right now so i would i would love it i would embrace the pro bar uh, I hope you embrace this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit of uh, Chris's story and uh, and the passion. I think the passion came out uh, in his rod building. He he has a lot of fun with this. So appreciate you for sticking around and listening to this one all the way till the end. And uh, as always, if you have a idea for a story, uh, an idea for an episode, an idea for a guest, you can reach out to me anytime. Dave at wetflyswing.com or on social media. I would love to see a lightning bolt emoji out there if you can, or or just send me a DM and say, uh, let me know you listened to this episode if it uh, resonated with you. <sighs> Deep breath. Did I do that all in one breath? Okay, you have a great day uh, wherever you are, morning, noon, or night. Love it. And we'll talk to you soon, hopefully on the water hopefully on the river, hopefully online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.